Please turn with me in your Bibles to John 14, where we were last week. Verses 15 through the end of chapter 14, 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The word of the Lord. Lord, help us to see wondrous truth from your word, truth that transforms our hearts and our lives. Lord, help us to know the love of God, love that is inexhaustible and eternal. More than anything else, Lord, our souls are hungry for your love. And so I pray you would feed us now in this word and then in the sacrament with the good news of your love. Give us teachable hearts and minds open to your spirit's conviction and correction, comfort and love. But I pray personally for for me that you would strengthen me and give me um, the energy to preach one more time and to uh, preach in a way that is faithful to you, Jesus, and what you are trying to say to us. Uh, Forgive me where I fail in that. Trust your grace and your spirit to cover over that. And use this time as you do every week, we pray. Amen. Last week we answered the question... What does it mean to love Jesus? If you weren't here for that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that um, on the website or podcast because uh, the last week and this week are kind of part one and part two of this passage. 
Um, So last week, what does it mean to love Jesus? This week, we answer the question, what does it mean to be loved by Jesus? And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I really need, needed, and need this sermon. Uh, It's always true. Uh, I need every sermon I preach, and I'm preaching to myself before I preach to you. But it's really true this this morning. I kind of just wrote this for myself this week, and maybe you'll get something out of it too. Who knows? I think this has, uh, I was thinking about this morning, I think this has probably been the most difficult week for me, pastorally speaking, I've ever had. Definitely had busier weeks, more stressful week, more pressure-filled weeks, but pastorally, um, I don't think I've ever had anything like I've had this week. Of course, many of you know that, uh, that a former pastor of TCPC was deposed of office for abuse of power. And I have just been living in the consequences of that within our congregation and just getting to the bottom of that devastation. Um, but it wasn't just that, honestly. For whatever reason, there was uh, just a pastoral heaviness that coming at me from all different directions this week. And, um, and as I was dealing with all of it, my mind went to Augustine, St. Augustine, and particularly his confessions. And, and typically that's where I go when things are really messy and really heavy. And there's a reason for it because Augustine is known as um, a theologian with just this very raw vulnerability and honesty about uh, just how bad things can be and not just like out there, but in his own life and heart. Um, He's very honest with his own struggles, particularly in the confessions, Um, very honest about his own uh, sexual misconduct. Some would even, if it was... In our day and age, it would probably be called a sex addiction that Augustine had and battled. Um, I want to read for you. Um, I want to read for you a quote and talk about it. But this is this is how he described himself. Uh, this is how he described himself before conversion. His life, his journey before conversion. He said this: "In love with loving," which is an interesting phrase. It basically saying, "I was." I was in love with the idea of love, chasing it everywhere. In love with loving, I was casting about for something to sustain my love. I was inwardly starved of that food, which is your love, oh my God. What's unique about Augustine, what's interesting about Augustine, is that he has this rich, and this is what he's known for as a theologian, he has this rich theology of love through which he views everything. He always sees the problem as failed love, and he always sees the solution as God's love. And so the way he describes his life before conversion is just this desperate pining and search, restlessness for love that only, he says, his God can give. I believe this is true. Augustine's really influenced me in this area. I believe we are, as he said, inwardly starving for the food of God's love. And that that starvation of love is the ultimate problem of the human plight. And today, I believe Jesus is putting before us the solution to our starvation, the food to our starvation for love. We're going to again talk about love, only not our love for God, but God's love for us. Last week we said that we demonstrate our love by doing something. If you love me, you will obey. 
This week, Jesus was going to demonstrate his love by doing something. Last week, he said to us, you're not allowed to just say, I love you. You need to show that. Well, then he turns around, he says, and I'm not just going to say, I love you. I'm going to show that. Again, there's much to say here, but like last week, I want to condense it down to three. Three thoughts about Christ's love. The extent of his love, the exclusiveness of his love, and the expectation of his love. So extent, exclusiveness, and expectation. Let's jump into the extent of Christ's love. To do that, let's just start here at the beginning in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That was last week, right? Now this is what he will do. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And what's interesting about this is that Jesus speaks of his love for us in a way that seems to have nothing to do with him. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, which he then goes on to define as the Holy Spirit. And the point that Jesus is making, though, is that asking the Father to give us the Spirit is the fullness of his love. That is him loving us. These are the actions of his love. And that's true. Verse 16 should take our breath away. I think that's probably the most rich Trinitarian statement in the Bible. Do you know what Jesus is promising here? Those who love him will be welcomed into the love of the Trinity. If you love me, I will ask the Father, he will give you the Spirit to be with you forever. That is, if you love me, we will love you forever. This Trinity focus is consistent throughout the passage. If you go through those four repeated phrases that we looked at last week, you will notice that they are always followed by Trinitarian promise that is worded slightly different. So like uh, verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That's last week. Now this week, and he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. That manifestation comes by the Spirit. Or take 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. It's just amazing. The message is the same throughout, that those who love Jesus are loved by the Trinity and not in some distant, abstract, theoretical way. Like just this idea that God loves us. Loved in the most intimate way possible. And this is why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so important. We will talk a lot about him in a few weeks. Obviously, he has spoken of much in this discourse. But for for today, we see that through the Spirit, We are in God and God is in us. Once again, verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor loves nor knows him. You know him, why? For he dwells with you and then he takes it up a level and will be in you. And because he is in you, then you are in the love of the Trinity. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, you in me, and I in you. It's just amazing intimacy that he's saying here. Verse 
23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Again, that's last week. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Trinity will take up residence within those who love Jesus. Verse 26 says, Jesus says, I'm going away, but don't worry. The helper's coming and he'll, he will bring to you everything that I've said. He'll bring it to mind. You'll remember it because of the Holy Spirit. So intimate is the Spirit within us that he's literally bringing God's word to our minds. And so in all of these statements, this is what Jesus is promising. Those who love him will be received into the love of the Trinity. Not the distant love of the Trinity, into the love of the Trinity. And whether you know it or not, that reception is precisely what your restless soul is restless for. Augustine is right. This is what we were created for. We were designed by God for God, and God is love. And so we were made for the love of God. This is why the doctrine of the Trinity that we see so much of in John 14 is so important. There is only one true God, but that one God exists in three persons. And the central attribute of that three persons is love. Not just ethereal love, but true relational love because God is Trinity. This is what the doctrine does. It retains a one eternal true God and the eternal reality and attribute of relational love. Without the Trinity, love didn't truly exist until God created, at least not relationally. But with the Trinity, love happens to be at the center of all existence for all eternity. So then what is creation? Not the beginning of love, but the expression of love. The, the explosion of love, the big bang of the love. Where the eternal triune love spills over into creation made for his love. Without a doubt, the most Trinitarian passage in the Old Testament is found in the creation of image bearers. It says this, Then God, singular, said, Let us plural, make men in our plural own image after our plural likeness. So God singular created man in his, in his singular image in the image of God singular he created. So which is it? God in the singular or God in the plural? The answer of course is both and it says that we are made in God's image, meaning we are made like him and for him. We were made for God's relational love. At the center of your design is an inexhaustible, undeniable, irrefutable, unignorable demand for God's love. And we had it. We had it. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. But in the beginning, we had thee. We had the rest of God's love. But we exchanged the love of God for love of self. That's what Adam and Eve did. The, the temptation that they believed was that they could be their own God, meaning they could replace God's love with love for self. And that is the exchange that we have all likewise made. 
And that is the reason for this miserable world. A thirsty, wandering in the desert, seeking the rivers of Eden's love and finding only this mirage of worldly love. That is life. What is life if not one long, restless journey in the wilderness of failed love? And our famished souls, like Augustine says, are starving for love. And yet it seems impossible to find. Well, here in John 14, Jesus says it is here. And it's for you. He is promising that those who love him will at last find it shall have what they are so desperate for, shall be welcomed back into the triune love that was compromised in Eden. To those who love Jesus, Jesus will ask the Father, the Father will send the Spirit, and through the Spirit we find ourselves enveloped into the perfect, eternal, inexhaustible love of our triune God. But that promise is not for everyone. Let's move now from the extent of love to the exclusiveness of love. There is another consistent theme that emerges throughout our entire passage. And it's that this love that Jesus is talking about, this triune promise that Jesus is talking about, it's an exclusive promise. Let's start back at verse 15 again. And let me emphasize something else for you this time. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive... Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Skip down to 22. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? How are we going to see you? But the world won't be able to see you. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word that was last week. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So it's, it's not just that his love is triune, it's that his love is particular. It's like this hidden mystery that lovers of Jesus are given, but nobody else in this world can experience or even understand or comprehend or as he says, see. Now, listen, Jesus is not mean-spirited or wrongly exclusive with his love. It's just that his love is reserved for those who love him, those who want his love. You can have it. Anybody can have it. But the problem is that many don't want it. The original temptation that cost us God's love still dominates this world. Love of self is better than the love of God that is still dominating this world. I would rather be my own God and love myself than to serve God and be loved by God. That's the diagnosis of the world. But what is so strange is that we keep subscribing to it despite its proven track record of failure, vanity, fruitlessness. It never works. I'm saying this particularly to those of you who do not love Jesus and therefore have not discovered the love of God. Would you at least be willing to consider how empty 
and futile is the journey of seeking love apart from God? Would you at least consider how miserable this world is in its search for a love that it seems to not be able to obtain? Jesus concludes things in verse 27 by saying, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. His claim is that discovering his love yields peace. And then he says this, But not as the world gives do I give it to you. Now do you know why he has to say that? He says, I'm giving you a peace, but listen, make sure you understand, I'm not giving peace to you like the world gives you peace. Now why does he have to say that? Because our experiences have taught us again and again that peace is fleeting. We seek love here, we find it for a moment, we are satisfied and peaceful for a moment, but every time it fails us. And the restlessness is only deepened, and so we seek love elsewhere, and we find it elsewhere, and for a season it yields peace, and then the peace is fleeting. It's not enough again, and on and on the the, the cycle of vanity of love goes until we are left devastated and without any peace and numbing out our restless days with vices and addictions and entertainment. If you don't want the love of God, so be it. I'm only asking you to admit that worldly love is dreadfully inadequate. But it doesn't have to be that way. Your heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. So find your rest in God. Repent of the love of self and the pursuit of all vain loves and give yourself to Jesus and find your heart's resting place in God's love. I will not sugarcoat things. It's going to cost you a lot. Specifically those things that you're probably running to obsessing over for love. It will cost you those things. It will cost you a lot. But if you count the costs as you should, then you will rightly see that what you will lose is eternally outweighed by what you will gain, the divine love for which you were made. Now to those who love Jesus and therefore have known the love of God because it dwells within you by the Spirit, This love comes with an expectation, and I want to close with that. The expectation of love. This whole passage, there is only one command in the whole passage. He talks a lot about obeying the commands of Jesus, but there's only one explicit command, and I think it's fitting and faithful to the text that it should be our application this morning. The command is stated in the form of prohibition. Look again at verse 17. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Now here we go. Let not your hearts be troubled. Nor let them be afraid. His application and expectation to those who have been given the peace of God's love is that we should experience that peace. That we should actually be experiencing his love. Or negatively speaking, let not your hearts be troubled. Let, not, let them not be afraid. Why is the expectation of love, don't let your hearts be troubled? What's the connection? It's this. Fear is offensive to God's love. At the bottom of our troubled and fearful hearts lies a suspicion that God's love is not enough. 
or a suspicion that God does not love me. The line that tempted Adam and Eve still tempts us and it finds expression in our anxieties and fears. The lie that God's love is inadequate and insufficient is hidden within all of our anxieties and fears. So the question of application this week, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, what is currently troubling your hearts? Where are you afraid? You need to see that fear is underlying, that underlying that fear is a distrust and offense against the love of God. It is a sinful suspicion that God's love is not enough. So what's troubling your heart? Anxiety over children says that God's love is not enough for me and I need my children to be happy, healthy, and successful in order to find peace. Anxiety over parents' opinion says that God's love is not enough for me and I need my parents' approval to have peace. Anxiety over singleness says that God's love is not enough for me. I need to find a spouse to have peace. Anxiety over cultural unrest and cultural change says that God's love is not enough for me and I need a perfect environment that is perfectly hospitable to my Christian worldview to have peace. Anxiety over money says God's love is not enough for me. I need financial security. I need a fully funded retirement to have peace. And we can just keep going with these to show you that beneath your anxiety is a suspicion that God's love is not enough. It could be anything, good things. I'll tell you what it was for me this week. Again, I already mentioned this, alluded to it. You know what it was this week? You know what troubled my heart this week? This church. You. Burden for the pain that's going on in our congregation right now. Burden for potential controversy and embarrassment that this might produce. Burden for the public perception of TCPC. My church has me troubled. And that is offensive to the God of this church. Because it says, I need to be pastoring a happy, healthy, successful congregation for peace. As if the eternal, inexhaustible love of the Trinity is not enough for my soul. I need you guys to be perfect for my peace. Friends, our fears are lying to us. And not only do we need to recognize that, we need to repent of it. When Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, he isn't trying to give you a sentimental, inspiring quote He means it. He's demanding it. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. But how, right? I don't know about you, but my troubled heart is not so easily dismissed. Well, this is an application of a huge passage after all, right? Filled with enormous promise. So perhaps the connection is that all the promise that we've been talking about should be used to combat our fears, We don't just get rid of our fears, we replace them. Fears aren't just thrown out, they are pushed out. Pushed out by the love of God. So, instead of trying to reason your way out of your anxieties, instead of trying to talk yourself out of your anxieties, instead of trying to Google your way out of your anxieties, fight your anxieties with God's love. 
dwell upon his love in the same way you dwell upon your fears. Listen, the Spirit is inside of you. The presence of God's triune love is inside of you. But He can be quenched. He can be resisted. We can dwell on our fears and our anxieties and our besetting sins and all these harden our hearts to the Spirit in such a way that we're not experiencing this divine love that dwells within. Instead of trying to talk yourself out of your fears, exercise your fears with the love of God. That's where Jesus is going and where we will be going. Right into this, he says, now, abide in my love. Abide in me. Abide in my love. Thank you. And the Spirit will be faithful to give you the peace that accompanies God's love. This is what Augustine finally discovered. Not only is Augustine very authentic with his sins and his story and his struggles, he is equally authentic with his God. Let me finish the rest of Augustine's quote I began with. Tell me if you ever hear theologians talk like this, much less ancient uh, theologians, fathers of the church. So let me, let me start. Here's what I said at the beginning. In love with loving, I was casting about for something to sustain my love. I was inwardly starved for that food, which is your love, oh my God. I was starving for that food. Now listen as God breaks through in the confessions. You called and cried out loud and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent. You put to flight my blindness. You were fragrant. And listen to this. You were fragrant and I drew in my breath and now pant after you. I tasted you and now I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me and I am set on fire to attain the peace which is your love. God, you touched me, and I am on fire to get the peace, which is your love. He says, what do I love when I love my God? A touch, a voice, a fragrance, an embrace, which is for my inmost self, something that is not limited by space, something not snatched away from me by passing time. That's what worldly loves are. They're limited by space. They're snatched away by time. There's a different love, something no wind will blow away from me. It's sense, something I may savor undiminished. Listen to this, this is John 14. A union from which nothing can tear me away. That is what I love when I love my God. Whew. What is troubling your heart? I promise it cannot stand against a love like that. Let me pray. Lord, may we know this love. May we be overwhelmed by this love. May you cast out our fears by your love. Perfect love casts out fear. So let not our hearts be troubled because we are so enamored and overwhelmed by the divine love that dwells within us. Lord, use your sacrament to do that ministry. May we taste and see that the Lord is good. May we know in our inner self how much you love us. And let us leave here with our hearts untroubled and at rest in thee. Through Christ we pray, amen.